It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino, and Lance Sumetto with you. The phone number, if you're a call, you want to get in is 201-939-4513. Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. Check us out. We'll take your calls. Get ready for Giants in Washington at MetLife Stadium on Sunday afternoon. For the final time this regular season, it's time for the Sim Spotlight presented by Bigelow T. Grab a mug and tea proudly. And, of course, in the Sims spotlight is the one and only Super Bowl champion, Ring of Honor member, Phil Sims. Phil, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Hope you had a fantastic holidays. Welcome back. Well, thank you. Good to be back. Um, Yeah, the holidays are fine. You know, the holidays always come during football season, so it's really hard to enjoy them every year. But that's a good thing. That means I still have a job. Yes, that that, that is something (laughs) Patrick Graham, our defensive coordinator, tried to point out, too. He goes, I hate the holidays. I'm like, well, I love Christmas. I just hate holidays during the football season because I can't do anything with them, and they're just a distraction. Well, that's true. You know, you look at Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, whatever it is, usually there's games or work that are going to interfere with those. And, and what happens is, and it does to me, trying to enjoy the holidays and work at the same time, it just doesn't really work that way. You either get exhausted or you're mad at yourself because you didn't do either one very well. And, uh, but it's all good. And, you know, I, I'm excited. Yeah, it's the end of the season for the Giants coming this week. But also it's exciting to see finally the season's going to end, and now we get to start finding out who's going to be the Super Bowl champion. Well, Phil, as we start this thing off, since I'm the senior citizen of this group and, and I was there in 1993, <laughs> I, I, you know, hey, I was with you every day. I got to go back into the time machine and ask you about Dan Reeves, who passed last weekend at the age of 77, a guy who was a first-class man first and foremost and then also a first-class head coach. Look, you, you and Lawrence Taylor and that group of Giants resurrected what was a couple of rough years for this team because Dan Reeves came in in 93 and you guys had a hell of a hell of a run and, and made it to the playoffs and restored a lot of luster to this organization. I wonder if you could speak to that. Well, look, it was a really good year for me and, and for our football team, Lawrence and all of us. I didn't know it was going to be our last year, but that's the way it worked out. But, you know, to work with him, to really get to know him, to see how he was everything you'd want in a head coach. In other words, he was a great communicator with the players. You know, he had some, he could have fun with them, but also you always knew that he was the man. And when I say the man, that means he really had control of the team. You respected everything he was doing. You respected his work ethic uh, and just how he handled players and how he handled the football team. And I've told the story many times. I'll tell it one more time. And I did it on Twitter, which is not usually my thing, but I just wanted everybody to understand a little bit about Dan Reeves. The first day he had a team meeting, we're all sitting in there. Now, I had met him before because I was there during the offseason, but he came in, the whole team's there. He walks in with, you know, the perfect sweater, shirt, and tie on, as we all know, and put that yellow notepad down and looked out over the team and said, I'm not going to do it quite like he did. Everybody, sit up straight, put your feet on the floor, and take those dang hats off. And it was with a tone, I was like, oh, damn. It was almost not scary, but I leaned over, covered my mouth, and put my head down and said to Bart Oates, we're going to win. 
And that's exactly, I can remember like it was yesterday, but just the way he carried himself, there's so many good stories about it. And for our team to really play to its max capabilities, and I think, listen, Paul, you guys know, that last game against Dallas was everything for us. We needed a bye, home playoffs, all those things to have great success in the postseason. Uh, we didn't quite get it done, but it was a it was a very memorable and great year with Dan Reeves, no doubt. You know, Phil, I still believe that had that overtime game to Dallas not gotten away from you, and had you had the bye week and maybe a different pairing in the playoffs, your your club that year could have gone further. Oh, listen. I, I totally agree. I was standing on the sideline going, waiting for the coin toss, and Bart Oates said something to me. And I said, Bart, we win, we win this game. I think we're going to go to the Super Bowl because the matchups will favor us. We'll definitely get at least a bye one week at home. And, you know, we were tough. Giants, in my era for most of the time, I'm not going to get into, oh, it was like this we played. But that stadium, there was never an empty seat, it seemed like. It was loud, and as I've had many guys that I competed against over the year for other teams, they say the same thing. They love Giant Stadium. And I go, well, I was like, well, why? Because you felt like you were a gladiator running out of that tunnel. The people were right on top of you, and the fans really hated you. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> of course, I didn't have them yell at me like they did the opposing team as much at home. But you know, it was pretty cool to hear that and realize. What an advantage we did have there for a long time because of our fans. And I see old pictures of Giant Stadium sometimes. I go, look at that stadium. You don't realize how tight it is, how close it is. And like I said, I could turn around and look at the stands sometimes, and I could not find an empty seat, which was really cool. Phil, speaking of your tenure with the Giants, you worked with several different offensive coordinators. And the reason I bring that up, if we look ahead to this weekend's game, Jake Fromm has been with the team for about a month. Clearly the first start didn't go according to plan against the Eagles. So now he's had two more weeks with the team. And you understand what it's like adjusting to a new scheme, getting comfortable with the personnel. How much more comfortable do you think he'll be two weeks removed from his previous start? And how much do you think the Giants could take away from his performance as they think about the quarterback depth chart moving forward? Well, uh, he'll be so much more comfortable this time than he was in that game. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Down in Philadelphia. Correct. Um, yep. it, it won't even – it'll almost be like it's another year for him. And, and I know it's just a couple of weeks, but the experience, the determination, uh, knowing a little more, and now they understand you more as the offensive coordinator and the team understands you more. And determine, you know, just that determination he's going to have to – Get that bad taste out of his mouth. That's a great thing. You know, players are almost like injured animals. When you lose or don't play well, you kind of go into this self-protecting shell. And all you can think about is, I'm going to redeem myself. I really expect Jake Fromm to play well and be a different quarterback in this game than he was down there. And uh, I think the coaches will know him better, understand. And, and really, I think it will, once again, hopefully bring a little life to the team. You know, you got to have a little personality. I don't care what it is, something. And you know what? I watched the game last week. I studied it close, and I don't know what to say. It was a very poor game by Mike Glennon and uh, just didn't have a great feel for the game, didn't play with a sense of urgency. I hate to say all these things, but I think you guys know what I mean. And, you know, got sacked a couple times, never felt it, missed throws. 
it, it was just bad from every aspect from start to finish on the offensive side. And I think Jake Fromm being in there gives him a chance to at least to start over, get a little more energy hopefully, and just make something happen early to give to everybody a little confidence and some emotion uh, in, in the game. Phil, a lot of talk we've had the last couple of days on the show. You know, fans want sweeping changes, not just in the front office, but on the coaching staff. When right. you look at this team this year, and this is kind of the question I've been asking fans, so I guess I'll kind of show it to you, ask it to you, and, and see what you think. You know, once the season got started, and, you know, we've been through it all year with all the injuries, of course, on the offensive side of the ball they had earlier in the year, and the guys that were on the field, is there anything this coaching staff could have realistically done to make this season significantly better than what it turned out to be? Well, look, I, I think coaching staffs and the, the Giants would be no difference in that, different in that as far as when it's not working and not going the way you want, you're always tinkering and trying to make changes. And me, as a guy that watches it, and of course fans, you know, we're not going to really know those differences or really see it. You know, everybody always, and I fall in that trap too. I said, it, oh, we got to be more creative. What does that mean? You know, you got to be able to execute, you know, the first thing in your playbook before you can move on to number two. We just can't go, let's just run a bunch of reverses and, and flea flickers and all that. You know, that works when your offense is doing all the other things well. And we get away from that. I get away from it as an analyst, as an announcer. And when I say it sometimes and do it, I just go, man, come on, I know better than that. And so I think it's safe to say that when this season's over, there will be changes in many ways with the Giants. Of course the coaching staff is going to change. It has to. And that's just part of the business. When you have a bad year, you've got to do something, get different ideas, uh, some more energy, whatever it is, into your football team, just like players. Yes, there's going to be players leaving and coming with free agency, all those things, and rightly so. It has to be that. It's the way the league is, but I think especially when you have a rough year like the Giants have had. Phil, we got a question from one of our Twitter fans as we always uh, promote the Sim Spotlight. It's uh, Zeke Zaleski says, Phil, if you were the Giants GM, what are the next steps? And I'm assuming he's talking about the roster, not so much the front office or the coaching staff. Right. Well, what are the next steps? Uh, uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough question, Paul, for me, being an ex-Giant and all that stuff. But uh, the, this, to read, the first thing is sit in there, and I don't know how long it takes for the coaches and the personnel people to do this, but go over all your players, and you just got to make really tough, hard decisions. And you just got to be honest with yourself. It's hard to do sometimes in situations like this, I'm sure. But, hey, all right, let's get a couple things right off the plate immediately as fast as we can. Let's get the, as quiet this conversation about who the head coach is. Daniel Jones, he's our guy. I know the Giants have they hinted that. But we've got to come out and hear it just to stop all the chatter and talk and start getting a positive vibe about a lot of things. But, there's a lot they got to do. I would say this, Saquon Barkley playing last week, getting over 100 yards, and now getting through the rough part of over, getting over the inner, inner injury and, of course, the ankle he hurt down in Tampa Bay, all that. But now you can say, well, next year maybe we can see the guy that we really hope to see that's, you know, as Dave Gettleman said, get a gold jacket one day. I think it's, uh, uh, that's one positive sign. And just, uh, of course, many others. But coaching, player changes, many things to do. It's going to be a busy offseason for the Giants. 
Phil, you brought up Daniel Jones. We actually have a question regarding the starting quarterback for the Giants. It comes from Marco. What is the biggest thing Daniel Jones you think needs to work on in the offseason besides getting healthy? And what I'll throw on top of that, Phil, is how important, given the fact that he's missed at least two starts in each of his first three seasons, do the Giants need to prioritize the backup quarterback position this offseason? Well, I, I, that's a good one. I think they do. I think you need a certain type of backup quarterback. Um, not not to really say that, oh, he's going to come and compete for the job. That's not going to happen. You know, Daniel Jones is either your quarterback or he's not. And you don't bring in, like, we're going to have an open competition. I lived through those. They're, I don't know if there's such a thing. They're, they're Most of the time they're predetermined, and, you know, you kind of feel the vibe which way it's going to go right from the start. And all it does is just distract from everything, too. The players are, oh, who do you think's doing it? And, and, and that's all the focus uh, with the media, the fans, and even the players get involved in it. You know, oh, I think. So but that won't happen. But Daniel Jones, just physically just get better. Keep getting better. And, you know, I wish I knew what I, back when I played, what I know now. And during the offseason, it's time to refine. It's like a golfer. Get out on that range and practice, man, and get all the shots. And what I mean that, just learn to throw the ball many different ways. Get your arms stronger. Get your body stronger. Try to run faster. That's important for the quarterback, too. Very important. And that would be the first thing I would say to Daniel Jones. Just become physically, I mean, drive it. And when you show up, if nobody saw you the whole offseason, you walk in there day one, and I want everybody to go, man, look at him. Wow, look at the ball, everything about him. And that can be done. He has extremely high-end talent, and I just want to see it come to fruition on the field. You know, I'm a fan, too, with all players, all quarterbacks. I kind of root for everybody. But that's what I want. I believe Daniel Jones has big-time franchise talent, and I want to see it on the field, and I want to see him take charge of the football team because for the Giants to be successful next year, they need him to take charge, and he's got to be the man. And just put it on his shoulders and do that. Easy to say, a lot of hard work, but that's what I believe about the position. The quarterback can affect the players more than anybody else on the team besides the head coach, and he's got to take advantage of that. You know, Phil, early in your career, you got banged up an awful lot. and that's I got banged reason. up my whole damn career <laughs> because I was a dummy. Okay, uh, you know, this is the truth. My last year was the first year that I started thinking – I'm not going to take extra hits. Before that, it was always stay in there. You know, that was the mantra or whatever. And it was, and I get, I listen, boy, you just brought up a, you're making me angry here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I just was stupid. You know, stand in there to the last second, take the hits that were unnecessary, but it was kind of the world I lived in. And uh, I would love to play now. I would not take hits. Of course, they can get rid of the football so much quicker with these great offenses and the spreads and all that. But, um, you know, yeah, I got hurt. And, man, it, there's not many day, weeks that go by I don't go, if I get another life, by God, I'm going to play it differently, that's for sure. But, you but see, go ahead. That, what was the question? Well, the reason I, I want to ask you this is because Daniel Jones, who at this point is still early in his career and is still a running quarterback, that's part of what he does, Right. How much does he have to work on changing his mentality of understanding that if I want to last in this league a long time and if I want to play 16 games, A, I've got to get physically stronger, and B, 
I've got to play a little differently on the field, understanding that I don't need to take as many hits. Well, you know, first off, I would say when I say all those things about him, you know, when I see him getting stronger, I mean, he's a strong dude. I mean, the first thing, I was at training camp, and, you know, I've seen him, and I just remember, and I'm shrinking as I get older. There's no no doubt about it. But, I, you know, I was talking to him going, damn, this is a big dude. And, you know, he really is. But here's the thing I learned from the coaching staff with the Baltimore Ravens because everybody, oh, Lamar's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. And they, one of their coaches, I won't call him out, just said to me, Phil, when you run the football, you determine what type of physical contact you're going to get. When you're in the pocket, you do not really determine that a lot of times because you can get hit with not, not seeing people, trying to hang in, waiting for a guy to come open, all those things. And it's so true. So, you know, when you're running the football and you have the ability that Daniel Jones and a lot of these guys have, as you're running, you can see and feel everybody. And it's up to you. Do I want to get another yard and take a hit, or do I give up and make sure that I don't get hit? And that's the big decision and what you must learn. And trying to be tough. Trust me, I'm an expert. Trying to be tough and all that stuff is overrated. <laughs> Daniel, don't do it. Hit the ground. Don't let them hit you. Because he has the ability to avoid and do that before he takes these big hits. All right, Phil, I have one more question about the present, then we have three rapid-fire ones that we can have a little bit of fun with. Um, okay. You talked about Daniel Jones running. You talked a little bit about creativity on offense. So I'm going to put those together. What needs to happen for this Giants offense to, you know, how about we get the league average? You know, I think that would be a great step in the right direction next year where they're just more productive, more consistently, just as a unit. Well, here we go. Where do you think of what I'm going to say? Let's look at the playoff teams. And there's there's a common thread with the playoff teams we're going to see this year. And some might just be in the middle of the pack, but almost all these offensive lines and all these playoff teams are good. You know, you look at Tampa, just name them. I mean, it's they're all good in their own aspects or ways. And until you you are not going to be a big-time successful offense, a football team or whatever, if your offensive line is below average. And that's just where it starts and ends. And, you know, you could almost get away with certain things on the defensive side because, you know, you can have speed and have secondary people and linebackers cover up for you up front sometimes. But the offensive line, it's, you cannot cover up for it. So until that offensive line gets to a certain level where it gives the quarterback and the receivers and the running back greater chances to have success, I mean much greater, and that's really what's got to happen. The, the offensive line, once again, I think it's more talented than we talk about. they just got to perform better. Maybe it's the teaching. I'm not going to get into all that because I don't know, and I watch it and try to study it, but I still don't know enough to make those decisions. But – it's just got to be a fact that we just – the Giants got to line up. And why did we have success many years? Well, because we had a hell of a line. And they were big, mobile, everything. I didn't realize how good my offensive line was until after my career. I'm starting to look at it going, man, Carl Nelson was awesome. Mark Oates was a <laughs> tremendous center. And it just – the whole five. And they all played together for so long. And that's another thing that has to happen. And, you know, that's a little bit of luck, that's for sure, in today's world. But it starts and ends with that offensive line for your whole football team. And they've got to find a way just to, to, to make it stable. And if they stable the offense, get it stable, it'll stabilize the whole football team in the organization. 
All right, I guess I'll knock one of these questions out right here, Phil. Here's one. Go ahead. Did you seriously consider this one from at Lan Lansky? Did you yeah. seriously consider continuing your NFL career with another team after leaving the Giants? Yes, 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 I did. And um, I went down to Cleveland to sign a contract with Bill Belichick when he was with the Cleveland Browns. And I got there. We couldn't get the paperwork done to put in front of me. And it just kind of spooked me. And I said, okay, this is somebody's telling me something. Give it up. I'm done. And that's what happened. I remember walking into Bill. and go, Bill? And he goes, oh, man, Phil, I'm sorry. Whatever. I'm not going to get into the story. And I said, it's just an omen. I'm going home. And, you know, they had about 100 press people there waiting to talk to me. Wow. And I was not going to talk to them. And I said, that's it. I'm going to go into what I'm doing. I'm in TV and see if it works out. If it doesn't, I'll go into coaching. And uh, that's so that was as close as I got. I did talk to other teams that were willing to sign me and pay me more money than I was worth. At least that's what I said. Wow, they're going to pay me that. But uh, my wife kept saying to me, you know, I had a son that was getting ready to go into high school and Christopher. And she goes, oh, I'm so happy for you. We'll come visit you on weekends. And I go, that's not going to work either. Uh, I know that story. So that's I did get close, but I'm really glad it didn't work out and that I had my whole career with just the Giants. Uh, speaking of Chris, uh, Adam Henry wants to know, what did Chris get you for Christmas? Well, he got me exactly what I wanted, and that was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, I, I'm a, I, I, I like to spend money like everybody. It's always, But at Christmas time, I go, listen, don't anybody buy me anything. One, you know, guys, you know how it goes. They get you something. It either doesn't fit or you don't like it and all these things. And you know what? My family lived up to it. They actually listened to me for the first time in my life. And I got nothing for Christmas from everybody, and it was awesome. (laughs) I'm not Scrooge, okay? I give gifts. I just don't buy me. I don't want socks. I don't want T-shirts. I don't want anything. And uh, even my wife lived up to it, which was, uh, I was really proud of her. <laughs> well, Phil, it sounds like you're not a materialistic person. That's n- nothing to be ashamed of. No, well, I didn't say that. I oh, think yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm materialistic and I got everything. So. That's another way to look at it, yes. Okay, well said, yeah. Actually, you know what? If you would have went to Cleveland on a side note, Phil, you would have been reunited with Carl Banks in 94, I'm assuming. Yes, you're right. Yes, yeah. I would have been down there with Carl, and I can't remember if there's anybody else. Pepper whatever, Johnson, but. was he there for them that year, maybe? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. But whatever, yeah. you know, and, and that year, I think the Cleveland Browns were on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a Super Bowl favorite. And it was really the second year Bill Belichick was there, not the first. And, um, you, you know, they started out great. Of course, when they announced the move to Baltimore, the team just completely fell apart. And I just think... Oh, my God, I'm so glad I wasn't part of that. <laughs> and, uh, so sometimes you, well, whatever. It was a great omen. It was a good thing. And also, I'll just, I'm making it quick. It could have been another year or two of punishment on my body. Yeah, and, sure. you know, I feel, I feel good. But it's been work to stay in good shape and not to get things to start hurting from all the years of playing football. But, uh Maybe I was fortunate in that way, too. Yeah, and Phil, quite frankly, as you know, the Browns fans loved Bernie Kosar. Not sure you wanted to be the guy to replace him because they probably would have been pretty tough on you, too, to be totally honest with you. Well, yeah, yeah, they probably would have been. But Bernie was not there when I would have gone down there, so that was one thing. Right. So I think I'm trying to think. Oh, the quarterback from Georgia, uh, Zaire. 
he was there, and so was Vinny Testaverde was the other quarterback, I think, got was it. there at the time. Okay. So, so, okay, so, okay got it. So Go ahead. Was, so that was a year or two after Bernie left. Got it. All right, final question, Daniel Morales, Phil. Well, who was your favorite person to play against? Coach, player, take your pick, anyone you want. Oh, geez. Well, I loved going against Bill Walsh because I had such great experiences with him before the draft and everything, and he always talked to me after every game and said stuff, which was great. But, you know, I don't know. I'm going to say favorite, but playing against some of the great defensive linemen was always an unbelievable challenge to know that it's going to be rough. When I played the Eagles with Reggie White and Jerome Brown, they hit me more than anybody in the world. And the thing is, they'd always – sometimes, I probably told you the story, they picked me up once in Giant Stadium. It, it might have been the day that Randall Cunningham had that long punt that bounced and went 80 yards or whatever mm-hmm. it did. They picked me up, both of them, slapped me on the rear end and said, come on, hang in there now, hang in there. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> are you mean – do they like me? Are they being sarcastic? But it was – all I can tell you, it was really – really rough playing against that group and it wasn't about the plays and studying and i'm gonna make great decisions it was having the courage to stand in there and throw the football it was survival it it really was just okay it's gonna get rough and we know i mean i knew in the locker room i'd take a breath and just go it's gonna be rough but it's just gonna have to endure it and let's go and and it uh, it lived up to being rough every time that's for sure but they'll be glad you didn't have to play against lawrence okay well, Lawrence used to run by me at practice all the time. And go, I know. Just once, I'd like to. I said, "Yeah, but you can't." Uh, so. The red jersey helps. Yes, yeah, that's right. You know, that was the only good thing about practice: keep your hands off the quarterback. And Lawrence would go. climb by me many times and would say, "Oh, Sims, oh God, oh, it's all good." Well, look, it's been a good year talking to you guys. Thank you, Phil. And, You're and the I best, hope it man. ends well for the Giants this year. And thank you for, you know. Thank you for the interviews. A lot of fun today, and uh, let's see if the Giants can pull one out this weekend. Absolutely. Hopefully we can catch up Thanks, at some Phil. point during Appreciate the offseason leading up to the draft or something. Stay well, Phil. You got it. Okay, guys. Thank you again. Thank you, Phil. That's right, Phil yeah, Sims in the Sims Spotlight presented by Bigelow T. Grab a mug and tea proudly. All right, guys. Um, we thank you for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. I want to make sure we go um, to our first caller here. Um, because he's gonna get uh, he's gonna get knocked off in a couple minutes. So make sure we get to him. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, this is Dan from the Poconos. Dan, what do you got for us? Well, I got a lot, guys. So hard to get in touch with you guys, and uh, I haven't called you in quite a while. Been listening to you guys since the inception conception of the show back, God knows, over ten years. Uh, and I'm just so damn I'm. I'm I'm in my mid sixties, and uh, I'm just so passionate about the Giants, and I've got I've just got so much anger in me, and I don't want I definitely don't want to offend or insult any of you guys, but if I do, I apologize ahead of time. I just want to I'm just so frustrated, and what I want I want on Monday, day after Sunday, like of course day after Sunday, uh, the first day of the off season, right? Well, for us it is. I want, I want Judge. I want everyone gone. And I understand, Lance. I understand what it does to your organization. But at this point, we are such a laughing stock and pathetic. And, 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 and again, Lance, you said that, um, um, you know, you're going to be the Jets or the Browns. Um, we are the Jets. We are the Cleveland Browns. We've been that team. We've been them for, for years now. 
I went, I started, I was a season ticket holder for over 40 years. I started going back, you know, I don't even want to get into all that, you know, nonsense. Before the 80s, it was like the late 70s. I, for the first year, last year, I gave them up. I did not go to one giant game last year. Opening day was like, we were like fish, me and my wife were like fish out of water. We were like, how come we're not at the stadium? And I, I'm just so done. I'm just so disgusted. And you know who I blame? I don't, everyone wants to say, oh, let's blame Judge. Let's blame the players. Let's blame the coaches. Let's blame the uh, gentlemen. I blame freaking Mara. Mara's the one signing and making these. Shoot. Dan, do me a favor. We lost you. Call me right back. I'll put you right back on the air. I promise you. We didn't cut you off. We have a 30-minute limit on people being on hold, so when you get past that 30 minutes, it, it clicks off. So give me a call right back. I promise you I'll put you right back on, all right? That was not me cutting you off. Give me a call right back. I'll get you right back on. Guys, look, we, we understand your disgust over, frankly, what's been going on here since 2013. I can t- guarantee you ownership feels the same way. Um, it's not been good. There's been one playoff season and a bunch of seasons that have, have started really poorly and been very disappointing. The question, though, is, and the thing you have to ask yourself, is don't is not to make a decision out of anger and out of frustration that might eventually hurt your team down the road. What's the best way for your team to move forward? And let's say you replace the coach, right? You come back next year. And you don't fix the offensive line. Daniel Jones gets hurt again. You have all these injuries at wide receiver. Is the difference head coach really going to matter? That's the question I think that needs to be asked. Well, and with respect to John the caller's point, and you know, I want to clarify because you know when callers call in and they reference things that were brought up on previous shows, it sometimes is taken out of context. The point that I was making when I was talking about other franchises was the fact that if you look at NFL recent long-term history. Teams that have a revolving door of general managers and head coaches, they can't get out of that hole. It's a cycle. That was my point. Listen, the Giants are going to decide to do whatever they want to do, okay? That's their decision. What I'm saying is it's no coincidence that if you look at teams that have preached patience, it normally leads to better results. For example, the Bengals, they held on to Marvin Lewis, and there were some down years during Marvin Lewis's tenure, and he was there for well over a decade. You look at the Steelers, you look at the Ravens, I mean, that division jumps out. The Cowboys stuck with Jason Garrett for a lengthy period of time, and there were some years where it didn't go necessarily smoothly. The Packers and Mike McCarthy, you know, all of these teams, the one thing that they have in common is when there were some down years, they stayed steady. And sometimes that's not necessarily the best decision, don't get me wrong, but you'd be hard-pressed to find the team in an organization that's gone every two years changing things that has found a way to then hit five or six years of consistency. Very difficult to do based on the NFL landscape. Has nothing to do with the Giants. No, and you make a really good point, Lance, because the way the NFL is set up right now, and we talk all the time about how it's so balanced and We have a lot of different words for it. Everybody's got their own adjective. But the bottom line is to have sustained success in this league is very difficult. Now, it's not impossible. Let's make that very clear. It is not impossible. But it really requires not only a really good mixture of people up and down your staff and and roster, but it also involves some lady luck, too. And also requires a great quarterback, usually. Right? I mean, that's the best way to sustain success over a long period of time is having have an at least elite, a good one. Let's put and, it that way. Yeah, a top 10 quarterback. You know? 
You better have at least you better have at least a good one. I, I and mean, a healthy you know, one, yes. Yeah, you guys got to be durable. No doubt about that. He's got to be able to play most of your games, if not all of them. And uh, you know, hey, that's why I said to fail about you know with Daniel Jones, it's a mentality thing. He's got to learn not to take the hits that he shouldn't take. He's got to be more like Eli that he folds himself up when he knows he's going to take a hit. But at the same time, you know, Phil Sims was a football player. Bill Parcells always said he's not a quarterback, he's a football player. Because Phil had gotten hurt so many times with devastating injuries early in his career that he trained his body to be so rugged and so tough that defenses really couldn't break him. And that's why when, when he got hurt in 1990 in that Super Bowl season, they, they, they broke his foot. They couldn't find anything else to break, so they broke his foot. You know, be, I mean, you know, because you can't train your feet. Sure. You know what I mean? Well, it was also a different game, too, when Phil Simms played as well. And just the makeup, the decision-making of quarterbacks, you didn't see a lot of mobile guys, you know, when Phil was playing. Now it's become really the evolution of the position, Paul. Well, you see a lot of quarterbacks now who are, and Phil was talking about this, who are really part of the run game where you can now dictate how you want to be hit. He referenced Lamar Jackson, which I thought was interesting, and he didn't identify the coach, but the point was when Lamar runs, you sort of brace where you're going to be hit because you know when you commit as a runner, it is what it is. When you're a pocket guy, you get hit left, right, who knows? It's the land of the unknown. So I think that was the point. But you're seeing a lot of offenses built around the quarterback running, Josh Allen in Buffalo is another offense where they understand, hey, the quarterback's going to take hits, but we know that going in. I don't think Daniel is maybe as much as a runner as those other guys that I mentioned. I think he's more of in that gray area, but he clearly needs to find a way to say, you know what? Sometimes I don't need to go for the 20 yards. If I gain five and slide mm -hmm. and live to see another down, so be it. There's nothing wrong with Phil, that. Phil had a great point. You know, stop trying to be Mr. Tough Guy. Sure. Usually when Daniel Jones runs the ball – more often than not, Lance, take, take a look at the video. More often than not, he's going forward and he's trying to gain more yardage. He, I, I think he needs to be much more alert and much more discerning of the kinds of hits that he's going to take when he runs. That, that would be my complaint. Well, well yeah, slide more, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, remember the Falcons' two-point conversion play? I mean, Daniel was running over a defensive lineman on that play. So, you know, that's just that's built into his mindset. And there are points where you need to take that because that was a situation you needed to get into the end zone, well, right? points. But, yeah, that's correct. points. But, Maybe but to, there you could be rough and tough, but there are other places on the field you got to know better. Yeah, when you're in the middle of the field and it's not do or die in terms of needing an extra two yards because it's not going to make a difference in the long run, that you have to know either run out of play, slide, don't commit to getting hit, so that or maybe you save yourself for an additional game because, listen, I don't want to speculate. I mean, we don't know how it would have played out, but if he doesn't get hit in the Eagles game, maybe we're not talking about the Giants having to go through Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. We don't know. All right, I'm struggling to get Dan back up here, folks. I don't have a call screener, so I'm literally trying to get up and get another guy on the line. They keep filling up, though, too quickly for me to kind of cycle through callers. So, Dan, I'm sorry if you're trying to get back in and it's busy. I tried my best to keep a line open for you, but they just keep ringing. Um, so I can't help you. That wasn't, again, that wasn't us cutting you off. Please give us a call back. Send me a tweet if you can. Um, if you want to do a follow-up, I'll, re I'll read your tweet, however you want to do it. Um, but that does bring me to a second uh, tweet that came in. Um, and I can read one from yesterday, too. This one from Juan that came in today um, says I'm losing my mind pretty much that I blew up on Charlie the other day. And I t addressed it on yesterday's show. But Charlie, Paul, you weren't on the show. Charlie called up and suggested Daniel Jones's nerve damage, 
which is what exactly. And I don't think he quite understood, and some fans don't understand how um, career threatening that is. So I kind of got mad at him as I gave him a chance to take it back and admit that he kind of just invented it out of whole cloth and he didn't and he declined to. So I kind of yelled at him. And yeah. I shouldn't have yelled at him. I apologize. Well, what was his source? That's no, what I'd like to know. Did a medical doctor who examined no. the player? There give was that no, to him? no, there was no, no source. Charlie is no. there was no Dr. source. Paul. So, so that, that's what that, I'm trying to but say. But again, I yelled at him. I shouldn't have yelled at him. Um, but that that's why I got mad about that. Because look, could there be a deal where at some point there's some structural damage? Yes, but that's different than nerve damage. Nerve damage is a very specific thing that ends careers. It is not mm-hmm. even repairable by sur- you don't have nerve surgery. Like nerves either get better or they don't. So that's why I got mad about that. The other thing he says that I I literally defend everything and that I can't admit that anything is bad. Um, here we go. To make too many excuses for Judge, forget the embarrassment of the offense. How do you defend the special teams performance? Riley Dixon has stunk this year. If you want to put Riley Dixon's poor punts on Joe Judge, I mean, come on. You think Joe Judge is sitting there working on Riley Dixon's form on his punts? I mean, guys, seriously? And this goes back to a, a tweet that I got the other day. Let me see if I can bring it up really quickly here. Um... One of the fans, because the question I was asking yesterday is what Joe Judge could have done to make this significantly better. And he's, and this is the tweet I got in. You know, that the offense was way too conservative, and they were so afraid of Judge turning it over, of, of Jones turning it over, that they took the aggressiveness out of the offense. And that was one of the reasons, you know, they had, they had their problems this year. And guys, this, this goes back to the point I was making before. With the guys that were on the field and the deficiency in the players that were on the field, and again, some of that has to do with you know how they put together the offensive line. Some of that has to do with injuries. It's, it's all that together in, 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 in one big cauldron, and all that stuff is legitimate. I don't. Like, you can't just say, oh, you need to be more aggressive. Guys, what happened every time the Giants got into a two-minute situation and the other team knew they were passing the football? What happened? The, the quarterback pressure, got yeah. murdered. Mm-hmm. Every single time. Mm-hmm. Throw that with the fact you lost two of your starting offensive linemen in the offseason. You had your wide receivers hurt. Like, probably three or four of your top five playmakers were out in each of the first six or seven games of the year, whether it was Galladay or Tony or Shepard or Barkley or Ingram. Like, literally, not just one or two, like three or four of those guys were missing in most of those games. So, Again, the point I'm making is that you guys, and like the Farrell Cooper play last week, like you want to put that on Joe Judge? They literally coach the guys to stand on the three-yard line and then let the ball bounce. They're coaching the guys to do the right thing. If the guy doesn't do it in the moment, Mm -hmm. that's not on the coach if they're coaching them to do it. And, you know, people complain like, oh, well, you know, you you always always say it's the players, it's not the coaches. Well, guys, let me ask you something. The Giants have changed coaches, if they change coaches this year, and again, who knows if they're going to. Three times then in the last four years, right? That sounds right. Is they end up making a change this year? Well, uh, Shermer over, was over for two. Judge was for two. We was going to say if two, two, two. It would be with six hypothetical. Yeah. Well, well, remember. Well, but they've made changes in three out of the last five, right? Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And have the results changed at all? Have the results been any different based on who the head coach is? Oh, the one loss record has not appreciably gone any. So any what does that tell you then? Right. Is it maybe not the coach's fault? And again, not to say that there weren't issues with McAdoo and there weren't reason to move on. There weren't issues with Shermer. There wasn't a reason to move on. And look, no one's going to say that the coaching staff has been perfect this year. When the team's 4-12, and of course it wasn't perfect. Of course there are things they can do better. Joe Judge and his coaching staff would admit that. 
No one would say that they did a Patrick Graham was self-flagellating himself today in front of the media saying he should have called the defense better. All right? No one's saying they're perfect. But there are things that a coach can help with, and there are things that a coach is not able to overcome. And everything that happened this year, in my opinion, is not something any coaching staff in this league could have overcome and turned this giant team into a playoff team or turned them into a 9-8 and eight team or whatever. It just, based on how the season went and the players that were available, I do not think that was possible. That's the point I'm making. It doesn't mean that it wasn't any, no one made mistakes. It wasn't anyone's fault. You want to talk about some fourth down calls, some time management stuff over the course of the year? That's fine. You disagree with some micro things? I get that. There are some things where I understand why you were complained about. Do you think a couple of those micro decisions change the overall tenor of this season with the way it's gone? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. That's the point I'm making. Not that no one's to blame, not that everything's great, not that there aren't problems, but it's the why and how's the best way to fix it. That's what I'm talking about, and that's the point I'm trying to make as best I can. Do you guys understand where I'm coming from with that? Am I making sense? John, I got no problem with what you've said, but you and I both know that there are many people who have a one-track mind about what they believe in, and it doesn't matter how many facts or how much logic you give them, they're not going to be dissuaded by what they think. So I I appreciate what you said. Unfortunately, to a lot of people, it probably didn't matter. Well, I also think, based on what you're saying, John, big picture perspective, football's not the type of sport where you flip a switch, you change one thing, and then all of a sudden the results it's are a spider completely web. different. Yeah. So if you look at this season as a whole, and this is what I just can't wrap my head around in terms of fans thinking here or there, is why does it have to be one thing in particular to put the blame on as to why this team is 4-12 and right now? Why can't it be a combination of a variety of things? Why can't that just be the best way to sum up this season? There were decisions that players made that they want back, the lack of execution, penalties, turnovers. Coaches want some plays back. Maybe there was at times the lack of aggressiveness. We talked about on the, that same show, John. I brought up the fact that you know people were calling for Jason Garrett to be removed. Garrett was removed, and a lot of people were thinking, all right, you flip the switch. You give now Freddie Kitchens the play-calling duties. It's going to be 10 times different. Well, what exactly happened there? So why can't it just be a variety of things that went wrong? I don't understand why we have to say the 2021 Giants campaign was a result of a coach, was a result of a player, when clearly there were a variety of different things that went wrong. That, to me, is the best way to sum things up. It can't be so simple where it's just one thing, and then if you change that one thing, all of a sudden, the Giants then reverse their record. You'd be, once again, hard-pressed to find that in terms of any of the other teams in the NFL. And here's the other thing. If you look at, and this, I think, John, goes to your point about once you lose your quarterback and then you go to, like, the third stringer, I would say, and guys, if you think there's another team, a better example, feel free. I'd say Sean Payton and the Saints, probably the best example of a team that unlike most teams, has been able to endure losing multiple quarterbacks over a season and still keeping their head above water, even though the Ian Book start was not very good against Miami on Monday Night Football. Outside of that, most teams that have had to go to the second or the third stringer and that second and third stringer doesn't resemble the style of the starter. Tyler Huntley, for example, is very similar to Lamar. That's why I think the Ravens had success. I think the backup needs to be very similar in skill set if you want to maintain what you run on offense. But the Saints, to me, is the only team that comes to mind where they've gone through Drew Brees, Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and they've been able to have some success. And I think a big part of that is because they have a really good defense. 201-939-4513, 201 
888-346-4513. All right, let's go back to the phones and say hi to our next caller. Call, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, it's John Q. Can you hear me? Yeah, John, what's going on? Yeah, hey, listen, thanks, guys. Hey, I want to go into the game for this uh, Sunday. Let's talk about what goals you guys would like to see out of the game on Sunday. Like, for example, I want to see some guys that I think that are on the bubble win some jobs. And I'll take that off the air, but, I mean, one of the key things with regard to some of these individuals that uh, I'd like to see happen is I'd actually like to see Fromm win the uh, backup quarterback position. He's going to be have to be out there. He's going to have to get some yards going. And he's going to have to do some things that we didn't see in the first game. So, anyway, I just want your guys' thoughts on that, and I'll take it off the air. Okay? All right. Appreciate it. Paul, you want to take that one? Well, I think the first thing that I'd like to see, and I'm not joking when I say this, Barkley had 100 yards rushing last week and did not have a run more than 10 yards because it was one of those games where he got the dirty yards. He grinded it out. That's the Barkley that I think everybody wants to see, and they'd like to throw in one or two big plays to go along with it so that he has like 150 or 160 yards. I think that's what everybody wants to see. That's the Barkley we remember as a rookie. So I think one of the things I'm looking for this week, I would like to see Barkley have another game like he did last Sunday. 100 yards, grind it out, and if he has a couple of big ones, that's great. But I believe last week, and Lance, I know you're really good with the individual plays, I think Barkley only had three carries last week out of his 21 where he either got one yard, no yards, or was thrown for a loss. Yeah, I'll bring up my chart, but from what I recall, as a team, Paul, there were barely many negative and no-gain runs. I mean, a lot of it was one to two yards at worst. You were at least moving the pile forward, no matter whether or not it was Saquon yeah. Barkley or Devin Booker for the most part. So that's yeah. a big deal for me. I'd like to see him do that again in back-to-back -back weeks going into the offseason because that would give me a little more to chew on to believe that Barkley can be the guy that he's supposed to be. Five runs for no gain. No, I'm sorry. That's the wrong game. Check that. Four for no gain or negative yards as a team last week out of their 40 runs. So 36 of the runs, Paul. I don't have the exact breakdown of Barkley, mm -hmm. but 36 of 40 were positive yardage. I would say that's by far. I'm just skimming through all of the games this season. That is by far one of their highest yield rates in terms of the entire season well, with respect to the most positive runs out of their full carry load. All right, so let's not make that an aberration. Let's see them do it again this week. Now, as far as I'm with Paul in terms of I think you want to see Barkley, you want to see Lorenzo Carter, you want to see some of these guys continue to put forth the production that we've seen in the latter part of the season. But I guess where I differ from the last caller's point where he was referencing Jake Fromm is I don't think, guys, that somebody wins a job based on what they do in the final two or three games entering next season. And the reason I say that is personnel is going to change. The roster is going to turn over, as has been well documented. So, yeah, you want to see Jake Fromm produce better, okay? That goes without saying. But do you really think the Giants coaching staff is going to say, we still don't have to have a conversation about the backup quarterback position because Fromm performed a lot better than he did against Philadelphia? So I don't agree that 
Fromm's performance in the mind of the coaching staff of the organization says, Fromm's coming back. He's absolutely our number two. No ifs, no ands, no buts. I just, I don't see that happening. And the same thing, if there's a young corner who makes some plays, I don't think the young corner solidifies a job, whether it be as a backup outside guy or a slot guy. It would have been nice if Ellerson Smith didn't go on IR. That would have been another guy I would have liked to have seen gain some snaps. But I think all of these players, it's more about development and what you could bring into the offseason as opposed to in the mind of the front office and the coaching staff saying these are absolutely the number two and number three guys on the depth chart. I don't think that's how they're going to operate regardless of the results on Sunday. 201-939-4513. Back to the phone's call. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, hey, guys. Uh, David in North Carolina. David, what's up, man? Hey, um couple of issues that I, I wanted to just stress um, from a, a general manager uh, manager perspective and a coaching perspective to, to where maybe you can make the case that there needs to be a change on both, both ends. And you know, I'm not going to speculate that, that more likely than not, maybe the GM is going to change. Um, just from a, a basic fan perspective, like when I look at the Giants, to me it's not a lack of trying, right? I mean, we have an organization that cares. Um, obviously, the mayor family cares. You can complain about the processes and the hierarchies and the and how they've drafted, which is evident. But at least it's an organization that cares and tries. But I think the problem is, is the organization has a tough time being realistic and seeing that, hey, we're not where we think we are. And I think you can make that case in 2016 that they thought they were a lot closer than what they really were, and you see the big spending spree on defense. And I think you could make a case here a couple years ago, the same thing happened where, hey, we've got a young promising quarterback um, on a low deal. Maybe we're a little closer than we think we are. Once again, let's spend some money on the defensive side of the ball. And we kind of find ourselves in the same rut that the roster really wasn't at that point. And so so that's kind of my complaints from a general manager perspective. From a coaching perspective, I I just don't understand why, if I'm a coach on the Giants, whether it be offense coordinator, the general manager, you know, giving advice to the coach, if I saw Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley in college, I don't understand why the offense isn't based in a spread base. And, and when I say spread, that doesn't mean throw it around the yard 50 times a game. It can be something similar to what Miami is doing. Short throws, a lot of read option. And, yes, I know Daniel Jones gets hurt, so hurt a lot, but you can't play with that in mind. I don't understand why that wouldn't be your foundation. Hey, that's what these guys did well in college. I think that's what your best coaches do is incorporate. I, I think the old NFL mantra is, hey, this is my offense, and this is what we're going to do. No, it looks like he's, like no, no, he's still there. He's there. Now, oh, okay. And so I think now you see a lot of more young quarterbacks come in and be a little bit successful, and it may not look pretty, but you have a situation in Philadelphia where it, hey, it's, Jalen Hurts isn't a perfect passer. But the offense is functional because we're playing to their strength. And I thought that's what Joe Judge was going to do. You know, you know what's funny, and, 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 you know, I understand what you're saying because I do think that schematically – 
there are some different schemes, proven schemes that the Giants don't seem to want to try for whatever reason. Philosophically, maybe they don't believe it'll work, or maybe they just feel as though they want to keep going with what they've got. But, for example, do you remember the 2000 and the 2011 Super Bowl teams? Both of those teams relied heavily on a fullback. Madison Hedgecock was on the 2007 team, and he did a ton of blocking for them. And Henry Hynoski did a ton of blocking on the 2011 team. In fact, we used to joke how Hynoski would never touch the ball, right? Well, so right. what's what's wrong with going back to a offense that has an extensive usage of the fullback lead? The last two times the Giants did that, they won a Super Bowl. But we don't. That's not part of the playbook with this with this team right now. I look. I don't know what else I can tell you. I've asked about that before. Now I do think that's. I mean, a, and by the way, I have not heard somebody call up and use the Dolphins as a guide for how they could have run things. You know that. That's not bad. Um, I think if you were going to make an argument, I think that's probably the best one um, to go with with very, very college system. Now, I I don't think that that was the pure scheme, like the one that the Dolphins run. That isn't really what Daniel Jones ran at Duke um, in in terms of exactly how he played. I think he played played differently at Duke than that. But I understand where you're coming from. But I'll say this, too. It's not like the Dolphins are running out there scoring 24, 25 points a game either. They are one of the lower-scoring offenses in the league, too. So it's not like they've been super productive playing that way either. And, I, and, I, and I'm not saying that's the recipe for Super Bowl or, or maybe even a playoff spot. But my goodness, it's the foundation. And that's what I was going to elaborate on. You know, sometimes I wonder, does the offense work Hey, hey, sir, I'm sorry. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your cell phone's dropping in and out there, man. We could barely hear you. I apologize. Look, I, I understand what you're saying, um, and that's fair, and that is kind of how you work away an off, work work your way around an offensive line, I suppose. But I think that's. I think they tried to do that in different ways. It just it didn't work. Well, the John, what I'll say Pardon is, me. first of all, I think uh, were you going to continue? I'm sorry. No, I no, I just off. sneezed. I'm sorry. Oh, Go okay. ahead. <laughs> Bless you. you Mid thought. <laughs> no, I sneezed. Sorry. Doesn't type. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. The Dolphins, I would argue, are built around their defense, and I think that's what you were getting towards because offensively they have not been lighting up the scoreboard, and I think what they've done is, and this is where I slightly disagree with the last caller's point when he was bringing up the recent splash of money that the Giants did where they went on the defensive side of the ball. I think, guys, one way to protect a rookie quarterback is to give him a good defense because I think that's what the Dolphins have done with Tua. They understand that they still have some offensive line issues. They didn't have a very good running game this season, but their defense was very opportunistic, aggressive. They blitz a lot. I mean, we saw the Dolphins play the Giants a few weeks ago, and I think that was Brian Flores' mindset. Okay, we're not where we want to be on offense yet, but we're going to build up that defense. We're going to change field position. We're going to take pressure off of a young quarterback who didn't start his entire rookie year. I think there's some logic behind that, that if you're not where you are offensively speaking, then invest and build up a defense that can help you win with respect to that. And to a certain degree, the Saints, I think, have a very similar philosophy as they've transitioned away from Drew Yeah, Bruce. and just for the record, Miami's averaging 19 points per game yeah. this year. So, of course. let's just and, and, and that's with their defense creating turnovers and stuff like that. So just, just something to keep in mind here. If you want to look at, like, yards per game, they're 25th. So they're only 13 yards ahead of the Giants. That's when the Giants being absolutely incompetent the last four weeks. I like to see what the, what they were, where both teams were when Daniel Jones got hurt before the Philly game. Anyway, I want to get another couple callers in. Steve's been on hold for a while. I want to make sure we get him before his uh, line cuts off. Steve, what's going on, man? 
Well, first of all, appreciate that, John, and Happy New Year to you fellas. Uh, you too. I'm going to try to be quick, man, because I didn't really, you know, first of all, it's been <laughs> it's been a tough, long, long, it's been a tough last decade, really, for me. Uh, but anyway, I just want to say this. You know, I, lo- I love Eli Manning and everything he did for us, but the reason why Tom Coffin is not still our head coach has a lot to do with Eli wasn't able to get it done anymore. And here's the thing. I have... You know, I know Judge, unfortunately, is not going anywhere. I think most fans recognize that. I do think, especially, you know, the last couple, two of the last couple of games, I was kind of okay with that. But after the press conference the last couple of games, I, the, the embarrassment is at a whole nother level. But I don't think we should even come close to comparing our organization to a, to a Pittsburgh who has never had more than one down here. And they, they, so I don't can't even remember really when they even had a losing season, but clearly. You know, Tomlin is doing a much better job than we have because, you know, we, I would be happy just to go 8-8 eight and eight in the 16th No, days. look, Steve, anyway, Steve, Steve, and Steve, that's fair. And I had, a, I have a tweet that said the same thing. Well, do you think the Giants record would be better if Bill Belichick was the head coach? Well, I'm yeah. not sitting here saying that Joe Judge is Bill Belichick or Mike Tomlin. I mean, you're talking about two of the best coaches in the NFL probably all time. So, uh, yes, fair. No, I was here with the Lance's point about, you know, about other teams have been patient. No, I mean, we're not on the same level. This is an epic failure. Offense is impotent. Okay, listen, I came into this season, me, my whole Giants crew, we were all more optimistic, screaming, no holes, no holes. Listen, we know we always got holes, but even with all the injuries and all the excuses you could come up with, we fell way, way short of anything reasonable. So, it's just, so I'm not even going to try to quantify it. Well, Steve, to Steve, me, Steve, real fast, real fast, real fast. All yeah. right? Just r- real quick on the offense, all right? Last year we knew the offense that they get better wasn't good enough, all right? So who were the guys they added to help the offense? They hope, you hope Matt Parrott developed, became a better right tackle. Didn't happen. You're bringing Kenny Holiday to be a big-time wide receiver. He was hurt to start the year, never looked like himself. You have Kadarius Tony in the first round. He gets himself injured. He barely plays. Sterling Shepard gets hurt. Evan Ingram gets hurt. How do you expect the offense to get significantly better if all the guys you expect to make the offense better are never on the darn field? Well, I, I listen, listen, injuries happen, okay? But not listen, all, no, but no, but Steve, listen, all listen, those injuries not, on the listen. same side of the ball at the same time don't happen all the time. Listen, that's unique. I don't, I'm not going to, listen, that's the obvious stuff that I can't even begin to, you know, to try to argue. I, that's, you know, it is what it is as far as that, John, but let me just add this. Sure. Because here's what my whole thing is at the end, end of the offense, and this is my biggest point I wanted to make today. This is what we're hearing. We are missing our field general who makes coaches look good, okay? We don't have. And I mean, I hate to say this. Listen, I know I don't want to argue, but I'm going to just make my point. I know what I'm going to say. But listen, until we actually have a real field general, you're going to get that type of loser. We're going to lose those close games. This any other quarterbacks make everyone around them better, especially if they're good and know what they're doing. They can audible and read defenses. Look, Steve, listen, Steve I mean, you're listen, right. At the end of the day, we listen. We listen. The thing is, that we already know the injuries and the talent and who didn't live up to this and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're not going to win with Daniel Don't. I I can see it. So I'm gonna go. I'm a I'm for life. It's been 1976 for on. I bleed blue. So I'm gonna ride this thing out. But we can we can do it to train real far. What's gonna upset me? Because I know I expect us to just cut the dude. But don't try to make from something he isn't. Listen, we need real, true competition because we know we're not gonna pick one in the draft. But between the injury and what I have seen since before he even got here, he's not the dude. So sooner or later, he's gonna 
we ain't gonna have no choice but to move on. I know that, but he ain't to do. I know he ain't to do. And let me. The last thing I'll say is this: yeah. everybody wanted to run Jason Garrett out just in there, the man. He dummy that whole offense down for that man. Quit playing with me, man. Everybody can see it. He's not the dude. He, you know, has no pocket awareness whatsoever. He's gonna keep getting hurt because you know he, he's like they're waiting on the bus stop, man. I, listen, I will always support him because he wears blue, but he's not the dude, man. We just need to move on, man. Appreciate y'all taking my Always good to hear from you, Steve. Don't, away, Steve, Steve, don't be Thank a stranger, you. man. Good to hear from you. Bye. You too, bro. Thank you. Bro. All right, man. Good to hear from Steve. Guys, look, I, I, if, if Steve's point is that has Daniel Jones shown that you that we know he's going to be a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback every year for the rest of his career, no, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't. I mean, I don't think any, even any of us would argue that point, right? Nope. Nope. Not at all. No, I mean, listen. Look, I and, said, and Steve's right, by the way. Just real quick, Lance. I'm sorry. Elite court, elite quarterbacks do make everything around them better. Yeah, that's, that's why they're true. elite, though, John, because there aren't very many of them. Correct. And 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 this will be an. Ex- I already have a little rundown for an off-season show. We'll go through all the quarterbacks in the league. We'll figure out who we put in what categories and stuff like that. We'll have some fun with it. But look, Steve's right. Elite quarterbacks make everything around them better. And no one on this show has argued that that's where Daniel Jones is right now. That he's an elite. You know, top ten level quarterback. That's that's not an argument or a case that we've made. So uh, I don't I don't think in that way we necessarily disagree with Steve. But the question is, what's the best course for next year? Given what's at the team's disposal, who's available in the draft, what you can do in free agency, what can you, what can you do via trade, and whether or not that's the right move to make. But are are you at the point now with Daniel heading into his fourth year? Who knows what they do with the fifth year option? Where you're thinking about? the long-term quarterback situation again. Now, yeah, you're thinking about it, but it doesn't mean you have a concrete course of action that you can do immediately where you know, all right, this is what we have to do because this is an obvious path that's in front of us. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, Lance, go ahead. I'm sorry. Let me interrupt you. I apologize. No, the only thing I was going to add was that the offense was struggling all season long regardless who the quarterback was. Now, personnel aside, I get it, but I mean, so that alone tells you that the quarterback performance needs to improve. And the other thing that I just wanted to clarify real quickly, I'm not saying the Giants or the Bengals or the Steelers. My point was when the Steelers had, for example, two eight and eight campaigns, you could have argued, if you're the Steelers, change the offensive coordinator, change the defensive coordinator. You're 8-8, eight and eight, okay? You're not doing your typical things. And what did they do? They brought back Todd Haley and Dick LeBeau. They didn't change anything. So patience, whether or not you want to be patient or not, I just think that that, to me, is a philosophy that benefits teams in providing stability as opposed to every two years or so completely changing things up. You're going to be hard to find me an example where that's worked. That was my point. I'm not telling you the Giants are in the same position as all of those other teams. I'm just saying even when they have two or three consecutive years where it's not to their standard, they don't all of a sudden make change for the sake of making change. That's my point. 201-939-4513. Let's go to our final call of the show. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where you calling from? Hey, guys. How you doing? It's Avi from Nully. Avi, what's up, um, man? First of- Hi. Hey, first first of all, I'm going to say thank you for everything, you know, keeping us afloat because we definitely need it, you know, throughout this whole few years. You know what I'm saying? You yeah, did a great job. Um, I got a few points. Okay, with the head coach, um, John, you were, saying, you were talking earlier about if a new head coach would change certain things. And I understand that, you know, we have a, a ton of injuries and everything. But there's other teams out there, obviously, in the NFL that have injuries and they're fighting. And you see they're more, like, in other words, seem like they're more prepared when they go to fight. Like, you have uh, a ton of injuries, like in Baltimore, for example, the, mostly the secondaries or the main starters are hurt. They're still playing good. 
Um, the they gave up 500 and full timeout. They gave up 550 yards passing to Joe Burrow two weeks ago. That's the equivalent okay. of the Giants doing nothing offensively. It's, it's, the it's way, literally right, the but, same but thing. And by the way, the Ravens okay. are in danger of falling out of the whole playoff picture, right? But they're still playing for a player spot, right? Well, yeah, because you they know, because still... they have, they have a better overall team. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. And that, my, no, my, my point is not, I'm not saying that. that the, my point was is that you know. I feel like with what they have, you know, you got players that are getting paid to play in professional football. You know, they should be showing a little bit better than what they're doing out there at some times, you know, because the offense is just, you know, it's atrocious right now. Another thing is, like, when it comes to the – um, when it comes to Daniel Jones, like, a lot of people keep calling, killing Daniel Jones. I understand, to me, the, my main concern with him is injuries. I think Daniel Jones is a service of quarterback. I think you could win with him if you have good pieces around it because, like, right now – there's other colors that Daniel Jones needs to be. He's not an elite quarterback, and we know that. But it's Jason, is it Tannehill from Tennessee? Is he yep. an elite quarterback? No, but he's just he makes the team, you know, he does good with the team that's surrounding him and, you know, has the team in contention for the playoffs. So you could win with a quarterback like that as long as he had the right pieces around him. Oh, that's correct. You yes, don't have that's to correct. Have an elite quarterback. Tannehill's a great so, example because, you know, he was just kind of a guy, an okay exactly. guy. On, on an average to mediocre Miami team, and then he goes to Tennessee, and he makes the Pro Bowl, and now he's had three consecutive seasons where they've contended. And, that, and that's my point exactly. A lot of people want to kill Daniel Jones and everything because he's not Joe Montana, he's not Peyton Manning or whatever, but the bottom line is you can win with him if you have good pieces around him. Yeah, it's and the environment. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, but, yeah. I, but I, think, I think the point, though, being, and just speaking from, from the other side of it, Avi, is that... It's not easy to erect an elite running game, elite offensive line, and two really good wide receivers to get your quarterback to play to that level. That's a really hard thing to do, and and it's hard to do every year. And I understand that, and it's a great point, but another point that I was going to make is about the the offensive scheme itself because, granted, we have issues with the offensive line, but I think sometimes when you got Tony, when you had Ross, whenever they were available, and let's say guys like like Shepard whenever he was available – you see how the 49ers, you know, do those jet sweeps. Even when, when, when we play Kansas City, the way they were running the ball with the, you know, the jet sweeps and everything with the wide receivers and everything. Like, I think that we could be able to run or, or, or kind of open things up a little bit more better if we do some type of scheme like that. I understand that I love power football like, like um, Paul was saying with the fullback and everything, old school football. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if we just kind of like, like we tell the defense what's coming. Or we just don't know exactly how to um, fake out the defense and how to scheme it out because sometimes when we try certain things, it's like they know what we are doing already. I mean, just remember one thing, like Lombardi always said, it doesn't matter if they all know what's coming. If you're good enough and you can execute it properly, they can't stop you. And and by the way, I look and by by the way, Avi, and I agree with you this too. I I love the Shanahan scheme, the outside zone, and all that stuff. But if you can't block on the outside zone running plays, guess what? That's not going to work either. If you can't block it up. I understand, but, it's, it, but, but to me, it's, it's, it's a, like, for example, like when Tony would come in for a jet sweep, like, I even know he was taking, he was taking the jet sweep at my house. You understand? It's like, 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 don't make it so obvious. In other words, it's like, or just not, you know, if Tony's there, okay, make him think Tony's the one who's going to get the ball, but Ross is the one coming in or something like that. You understand what I'm trying to get? Like, so like that, the defense doesn't like key into that. Well, the bottom line is the execution is not where it needs to be, Avi, no matter how much you spin it. 
I mean, the bottom line is the Niners. Thank you, Avi. Appreciate the call. John was bringing up Shanahan. During their playoff run in 2019, they went up against the Vikings and the Packers at back-to-back playoff games. In each of those games, they had a touchdown drive where Jimmy Garoppolo didn't attempt one pass. So there you go. Minnesota and Green Bay knew San Francisco was running it on every single play. It still didn't mean anything to those two opposing defenses because they couldn't stop it. Why? Because the Niners had a really good offensive line, and they won in the trenches. So, I mean, you could doll up and dress up plays all you want. Guys still need to block and execute. Creativity can only make up for so much when it comes to personnel not executing. You know, Delance, years ago, and I, I, think, it was, I think it was Coach Reeves who might have said, look, just get a hat on a hat. Yeah, that's it. Just get a hat on a hat. Get your guy, block your guy, and the guy who's got the ball behind you is going to find place to run. It's really very simple. All right, guys. Good stuff. Tomorrow it'll be Lance and Dettino. Um, We'll see. I don't know. I'll probably be here screening calls for that. Thank you for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. For Lance and Paul, I'm Schmelk. We will see you next time, everybody. Stay safe out there.